It's uh, <coughs> really good to be with you again. And I don't know about you, but um, I have really enjoyed doing these messages on the Acts. It's been uh, so incredibly encouraging to me, as I hope it has been, uh, has been to you. Let's just bow in prayer. Our loving Lord, we thank you this morning for your wonderful word. We thank you, Lord, that it uh, tells us about real people in real situations, with real opposition, and with real faith, and real discovery of your grace and goodness. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as we uh, again enter into this uh, wonderful man's experience by the name of Paul, that we'll continue to be encouraged and uplifted. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I entered the ministry, I was a bank officer with what is now called Westpac. About 12 months ago, we had a reunion for former staff members who had worked at the James and William Streets branch in the 60s and 70s. At the reunion, I caught up with a guy called Wally, who I'd work, worked with all those years ago. Way back then, he knew that I was going to go into the ministry. And now he wanted to know how it all turned out. And so I filled him in on the way in which God had led me through the years. Then he launched in to a lecture for 30 minutes about his religion, which he had developed over the years to satisfy himself. He raised so many issues that I could not hold him to explore some of them with him. So I said to him, could we meet again to discuss these issues that you have raised? To which he agreed. So we set a date, and then I had to think through the best approach to tackle the things that he had said. After much prayer, I decided the best thing to do was to tell the story of my own conversion, which I did. Wally listened with rapt attention for at least 20 minutes as I went through how I came to know Jesus. I said to him, I said, it was through a scripture teacher in year eight, and I was taught about Jesus and who he was and is, and what he had done on the cross for sinners like me. I explained to him that Jesus is the son of God and that he rose from the dead and is alive today in the lives of Christians through the Holy Spirit. I said to him that because of the resurrection, it validates the truth of everything he said, including and especially that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is Lord and God, and we are to turn from our sins and put our faith in him for forgiveness and to receive the gift of eternal life. I took this approach 
because I did not want to get into arguments that could kill an ongoing friendship. But what I said about Jesus to him, as to who Jesus was and what he had done, totally challenged his syncretic and synthetic image of Christ that he had made up from New Age ideas. We have continued to meet, and I trust a real friendship is developing. In fact, we'll be meeting next Tuesday, when again, I think, some spiritual issues will arise. The title of this morning's message is this. We all have a story to tell, and we must tell it. In Acts 22, verses 13 to 24, we have Paul telling his conversion story to his countrymen in Jerusalem. Just to get behind that, we go back to Acts 20 and 22, where Paul was convinced that he must go to Jerusalem. On his way, he stopped at a place called Tyre. And there we read in, verse, in chapter 21 and verse 3, we landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Also, later, Agabus, the prophet, warned him about what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. It says, coming over to us, that is Agabus, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. So when Paul finally arrived in Jerusalem, he was welcomed by the church and they rejoiced with him in all that God had accomplished through his ministry to the Gentiles. However, some Jews from Asia saw him in the temple and recognised him and then accused him before the congregation. They said, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And also they accused him of taking a Gentile into the temple, which was punishable by death. There was an absolute uproar and melee. So much so that the Roman commander was called to come and break it up and the soldiers to rescue Paul from certain death. And as Agabus had prophesied, Paul was bound and taken into the fortress of Antonia in Jerusalem. But before they got into the fortress, Paul said to the commander, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak 
to the people. The commander gave Paul the permission and then Paul began to give his story to the crowd. In looking at Paul's uh, story, the way he told it, we see something of a model as to how we are to defend our faith, but also to tell the story of our, of our conversion to non-Christians. The first thing we note is this. Paul totally connected with his audience. He drew alongside them with respect, calling them his brothers and his fathers. He spoke to them in Aramaic, a dialect of Hebrew. And the result was that they went quiet and they began to listen. And it may well have been that many in the crowd did not know who he was. The Roman commander didn't know who he was. He was thought he was some Egyptian who had caused a stir. But Paul was being respectful. And so for us, if we want to connect with non-Christian people, we must be very respectful. Respectful of who they are. Respectful of their ideas. Respectful in the sense that we take them seriously. And then we notice also, he made clear his identity. He made clear who he is. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. He is saying, I am one of you. This is where my roots are. I know how you feel. I know what you think. I understand your culture because I am one of you. So knowing that, he was not going to say anything that would be off-putting and, and inappropriate that would stop the gospel message of what he was about to say from being heard. You know, it's so easy, is it not, to put people off because we say things that don't take them seriously or we say things that are inappropriate or somehow we don't allow them to feel that, yes, we are just like you, made in God's image, with all sorts of problems, all sorts of difficulties, we are just like you. That's what Paul is doing. And then he told them exactly what they believed, <laughs> that he knew what they believed, rather, because he was what we would call a biblical scholar. He informed them that he had studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of their ancestors. Gamaliel, by the way, was a very influential Pharisee, an expert in the law of Judaism, and one of the leading men in the Sanhedrin during the time of the Apostolic Church. So the audience listened with respect 
Because Paul knew his stuff. And he, he understood the law backwards. But also, he, he says to them, that he understood their zeal for God. For he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So Paul is trying to, bit by bit, remove any barriers so that their minds will open, so that their hearts will open. And then also, he understood how they felt about Christians because he had felt exactly the same. He says in verse 4 of that chapter 22, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So you see, again, all the way along, he's driving home the point. I'm with you. I understand you. This is what I was, exactly where you are. He's breaking down the barriers that could hinder the reception of the message. You see, Paul was not just being diplomatic. He was being wise. He wanted them to know that he really was one of them, been where they are, and now he was ready to tell them about what had happened to him in his, in his encounter with Jesus. All of that was by way of introduction. He didn't just dive in. <laughs> he prepared the ground so that they would be ready to hear what had happened to him when he met Jesus. He connected them, connected with them, showing respect, showing his identity, and showing that he had the knowledge to be able to speak to them. And then the second thing we notice about his defence was he carefully and accurately told his story. When we tell someone the story of our conversion, there is no need to sensationalise it or to embellish it, nor in any way to dumb it down. We are to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And there are two things that I notice particularly what Paul did as he carefully explained what had happened to him. The first is this, that his story, his testimony, was unique. No one then or now has a story like Paul's. It's a, it's a spectacular story. Without warning, Paul is enveloped by a bright light, brighter than the light of the midday sun. And a voice is heard, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul replies, who are you, Lord? Answer, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He was having 
an account, an encounter with the living, risen Lord Jesus. The truth is this, dear friends. Every one of us who've been converted, our conversion is spectacular because we too have had an encounter with the living Christ. Therefore, our conversion is unique. No one has your story. No one else has my story. No one has your experience. No one has my experience. Every one of us who have met the risen Lord have been given an experience of God which is unique to us. And God has this wonderful, special relationship with you and you're the only one that he can have that relationship with. It's an amazing fact, isn't it? That he has these billions of special relationships. <laughs> he so understands us individually. And he knows that we're different from everybody else. And yet he relates to us in a loving, personal, concentrated way. Do you remember the moment of your conversion and its aftermath? I remember mine. I'd, I'd, I'd been listening to this scripture teacher for some 15 months and then in year nine I was told, well I'd actually been told again and again by this scripture teacher that if we wanted to know God we needed to get down on our knees confess our sins and ask God to forgive us because Jesus died on the cross. And if we did that, we would experience the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and giving us eternal life. And so, in year nine, May of that year, in my own room, in my own home, non-Christian home, I got on my knees and I prayed that prayer. Well, there were no angels came down, no voices, no bells or whistles. <laughs> but the next morning, I knew I was a Christian. I knew that God was in my life. There was a new presence in my mind, a new reality and new desires. 
and I became a preacher. <laughs> Can you remember your experience, your, your experience when you became a Christian? It was unique. It wasn't like mine. Mine was totally different from yours. But each of us had this precious, unique experience with God our Father through the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I notice about Paul's testimony, it was powerful. The moment when Paul heard these words, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, his life was changed forever. From that moment on, everything he did and said was determined by that once-in-a-lifetime experience. That's what conversion is. Conversion is not turning over a new leaf. Conversion is not having some adjustments made to our behaviour. But conversion is a, is a total radical reorientation of my whole life, of, 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 of what is my heart's desire to do. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what I would have become had I not become a Christian? Where would I be today? To be honest with you, such a question frightens me. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to God that I can look back to that moment of conversion that completely reorientated my life in a whole new direction. That's what conversion is. It doesn't mean that, we've, that we're perfect. It doesn't even mean that we will be perfect until, of course, we meet Jesus when he comes again. But it does mean that now my whole life is about Jesus Christ. Why, uh, sorry, this conversion experience is so powerful. Because you see, Peter says in his second letter in chapter 2 and verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him and who, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. One of the proofs of our conversion is, is that God has turned humble people, sorry, God has turned proud people into humble people. God has turned selfish people into unselfish people. God turns angry and hard-hearted people into kindly 
and loving people. And that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. One of the most wonderful chapters he ever wrote was Romans chapter 16, where he lists all the people in his life, or most of them, I guess. And he talks about his relations with all of them. And given the fact that he was before a Pharisee, now he counts as his friends, slaves, Gentiles, who once he would have hated. But also this conversion experience is powerful because in it we, we, we walk with the risen Christ through the power of the Spirit. And we have, we have these great and precious promises. First of all, we have the promise of the, of the presence of Jesus with us always through the Spirit. The last words Jesus said to his disciples before he went to, before he was lifted up before them after the resurrection was lo i am with you always it doesn't matter where you are he's there i'll never forget one person said to me john we're standing in a church building he said he said john i've got a joke i want to tell you but I can't tell you in here, I'll have to take it, tell you outside. I said, well, God's outside as well as being in here. So if you can't tell me here, you can't tell me, you can't tell me out there. There is no moment in our lives where God is not present. In moments of difficulty, in moments of stress, God is there. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. Secondly, there's the promise of his power. Paul said to the Ephesians, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine according to his mighty power within us. Ephesians 3.20. So it doesn't matter what we are facing. We have the omnipotent God with us. And we have the omnipresent God with us. And also, we have the promise of his wisdom. James 1.5 if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives stingily, <laughs> no, who gives liberally. There's nothing ever stingy about God. He gives all the wisdom we could ever need. So you see, Paul's testimony is powerful. Your testimony and my testimony is powerful because it tells of a reality of a life with a risen Christ. So Paul, in this defence, he connects with the people. He carefully tells them his story 
And then lastly, he confronted them with the truth they did not want to hear. We read in verse 22, verse 21 rather, Then the Lord said to me, this is God speaking to him, Paul was telling him about what God had said, what Jesus said to him, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, very interesting. The crowd listened to Paul until, note that, until he said this. Then he raised, then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. Over one word, <laughs> Gentiles. But you see, Ananias had actually told him, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And let's just back up here to get the background of what was happening here. This was to be Paul's great moment. He had never had a moment like this in his life since being converted where he was able to speak in the centre of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Here was his, old, his golden opportunity to say to his people, this is Jesus that I worship and serve. He'd looked forward to this day where, where he had grown up, where he had, had all his education under Gamaliel. In this great place, this place of God's choosing, he was going to be able to speak to his people. And he takes care to connect with them. And then he takes care to carefully tell what happened to him. And then he says, God, I, I go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Every day the devout Jew thanked God he or she was not a Gentile. We were upon the sort of the, the level with a dog as far as a Jew was concerned. And so when Paul said that God was going to send him to the Gentiles, it sent those people into hysteria because Paul was putting non-Jews on the same level as Jews and that they were going to be his people along with Jews through faith in Christ. And for Jews, they could not even begin to imagine such a terrible thing. It was atrocious. What the Jews did not see, nor want to see, those that were listening to Paul on that day, was they were not going to be replaced by Gentiles, but in the coming of Jesus was the fulfilment of the promise given to Abraham that through his offspring all the, the whole earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. There would be one people of God 
Jew and Gentile. And the Jews could not stand that. But you see, this is what we do in a testimony. We connect, we explain the truth, we explain what happened to our, in our conversion, and then we give the truth that confronts people. What would be the one truth today that people do not want to be confronted with? I suggest it is the fact that the judgment of God is coming. Our nation is more and more turning its back on God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. We hear it every day in general conversation in the shopping centres, at work. We hear it from leading political figures and we see it on our television screens in the entertainment that's dished up. People love to hear that God is a God of love. And he is. But he's a God of justice. And we are accountable to him. And Jesus said, Matthew 24 and verse 38, For in the days before the flood, People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. If we are ever going to speak to people about God's judgment, it needs to be spoken of in the context of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Our testimonies have to say all the good things that people like to hear about God, but also that he is a God of judgment, of justice. And so that's why I'm saying this morning, we all have a story to tell and we must tell it. We must tell it. And God will bless our witness through our testimony as we seek to win people to Jesus. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we just thank you for this uh, wonderful man, Paul. So courageous, so devoted, Lord. so sacrificial he was even prepared Lord to sacrifice himself that his people might be saved and we thank you Father for his witness to us how constantly he told his story because he wanted people to see the glory of Christ and who he is 
and what he's done and that they can know him too. Help us, Lord, to be such witnesses because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.